Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron, and I'm thrilled that you're here with me again this week. I know we talked about it in the beginning of the year, about making a commitment to yourself each week to invest time in yourself, to be here, to learn, to grow, to maybe answer the questions that I provoke uh, during the episodes for you to think deeper, explore your personal awareness, and maybe find something about yourself that you didn't know. So I'm super glad you're here. Thank you for joining me. So this week is part two of the Difficult Conversations series. This is part two of a three-part series. And we really talked last week about part one, which is the key ingredient to any difficult conversation, which is first and foremost, psychological safety. So if you didn't listen, please go back and listen to episode 56. It really lays the groundwork for any type of difficult conversation you have coming up, whether it be at home, at work, with your kids, um, maybe as part of an organization that you belong to. It really sets the tone and helps you build a solid foundation for that conversation. Because the truth of the matter is, without psychological safety, you're really not going to get anywhere um, either yourself or with the other person, because that is just the key ingredient, the foundation of any type of difficult conversation. So again, please go listen to that episode. We talk about the four stages of psychological safety that people need to pass through um, so people can make meaningful and valuable contributions to a team. We talk about two factors that all successful teams have and how to make sure your team does as well. And again, we I also address specifically how psychological safety shows up in the parent-child relationship and really how to manage that, especially if you're a parent. So please, please, please go listen to that. But today we are talking about how to get into and prepare for and plan the difficult conversation. And then next week, what we're going to be talking about is how to close that conversation from a very confident place and how to make sure that you're bringing resolution, that there's action steps, the follow through. Um, So we are going to be covering all of that next week. So I look forward to seeing you right back here at the same place, same time next week. So as we jump in to tonight, I have to say I did have a little bit of procrastination this weekend. I had a really exhausting week at work. Uh, There was a lot of stuff going on. It was all great stuff, 
But my business partner, Lori Tab and I had just been working day and night. And part of the reason for that is we had a virtual booth at the California Conference for Women. And we were preparing and I, I have done a lot of trade shows in my career. I've never done a virtual trade show. So this was a new experience for both of us. And I have to say it was phenomenal. We had such a great time. Again, it was a lot of work preparing for it. And what was really cool about it is people could come into our booth and it looked the way that the company that was doing the virtual trade show prepared everything. You really felt like you were in an exhibit hall. You could see each person's booth when you walked in. You could see the booth and the chairs. It was all really nicely done. And so we had a marketing company helping us with graphics and messaging. And we had some great freebies that we were offering. But the really the highlight of the day was listening to all the great lineup of speakers. So we heard from Stacey Abrams. We heard from Jane Goodall. We heard from Lisa Ling. We heard from Lisa Newsom. We heard from Angie Thomas, who wrote the book, The Hate You Give. We also heard from Ursula Burns, who was the first African-American woman to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. She was actually the CEO of Xerox. And she regularly appears in Fortune and Forbes list of one of the most powerful women in the world. So, so amazing to be surrounded by such powerful, commanding women in a great environment with other women in, in, and men in the, in the audience. So it was such a great day. We had a great time. And because of that, my podcast didn't get recorded when it usually does. I was pretty exhausted this weekend, and it's actually Sunday night at 1030 as I'm recording this. And I have to tell you, I really am a believer in that things happen for a reason. I'm actually glad I procrastinated because I watched the interview tonight with Meghan Markle and Harry um, with Oprah. And it's such a perfect setup for having our discussion about how to have difficult conversations. Um, not that the conversation between Megan and Oprah was difficult, but hearing Megan's experience with the royal family and everything that she went through, obviously there were a lot of difficult conversations that were taking place during her time in London being a part of the royal family. So if you didn't see the interview, it was phenomenal. I thought it was great. I actually wasn't super interested in watching it, but I'm so glad I did because I feel it's the perfect launching point for our time together today. So here's where I want to start is obviously we're talking about, you know, how to prepare for a difficult conversation. We've established that psychological safety has to be a part of it um, on both sides whoever is having the conversation together. And so now that we, let's just assume we have that established and we know that we are walking into a difficult conversation. I want to share with you what I hear from my clients and also from my own personal experience. I hear a lot of women sharing with me, I hate conflict. I avoid it at all costs. It is so nerve wracking to me. I despise it. I don't want to be a part of it. And I completely avoid it at all costs. And I will tell you, for a long time, this was me. 
I, I can honestly tell you that I had a friendship which lasted probably about 10 years. Um, this was like in my 20s to 30s. And there were so many times I should have had conversations along the way, but I didn't because I avoided them and avoided them like the plague. And I should have had them about things that were upsetting me during this friendship. And what ended up happening, and I hear this from a lot of women, so if you're anything like me, what happens is whether you're at work, whether you're in a friendship, whether you're in a relationship, what can happen is you let things build up, you don't have the conversation. You let things build up, you still don't have the conversation. Things continue to build up, and then all of a sudden, you blow up. And that's exactly what happened to me. So when I think back to this friendship that I had, I had let so much stuff build up. And of course, maybe we had small conversations over the period of 10 years, but I had let so much build up over the course of this 10-year friendship that I was afraid to address that literally something happened, which I understand now and I take responsibility for. It could have been perceived as maybe not that big of a deal. But I completely blew up at the end. And I just said, you know what? This is totally unacceptable. I ended the friendship. And I just said, you know, I can't do this anymore. And the other person in that relationship with me was really shocked and surprised and really caught off guard. And of course, at the time, I had no idea how they could be caught off guard by by me not, you know, expressing myself and like, how did they not know? But they didn't because I never shared it with them. And that was a big learning moment for me of realizing that not only did I need to honor myself by having these conversations more frequently, more often, and more honestly, I also owe that to the other person in the relationship. And I don't think I had quite thought about it that way before. Um, I love what the Center for Creative Leadership, there's an article And it states, difficult conversations often happen because better conversations didn't. And when I read that, it completely reminded me of the situation with my friend. So again, difficult conversations often have to happen because better conversations didn't. And the way I interpret that is better conversations didn't happen along the way. We wait and we let things build up and build up and build up. And part of that is absolutely the way women, little girls, are socialized. We're socialized to, you know, be nice and play nice and don't say anything to hurt anyone else's feelings. And boys are raised much differently. They can banter on the field. They can call each other all kinds of names. And then they can put their arms around each other at the end of the game and walk off the field and shake hands. And girls are just raised very differently. And I really feel that that is a big reason why we don't like to have difficult conversations. But here's my question to you as you think about this conversation and the topic this week. I invite you to think about why you hate confrontation so much. I'm guessing one of your answers might be you have fear of losing something. So whether you're having a conversation at work or and you're 
maybe potentially losing resources or you're losing a promotion, or maybe you're at home and you're talking to a spouse or you're in a relationship. Maybe you're fearful of losing that person. Maybe that's why you're avoiding the confrontation. And my invitation, again, for you to think about is by not having that conversation, are you perpetuating you know, more negative behavior? And even though you're not having the conversation, are you acting it out? I mean, I think we know plenty of situations that have the cliche situations that are played out in movies, you know, which are based on truth of we we say that we're not, you know, we won't have a conversation that we're not okay. But then the response is, I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's not a problem. Well, that's just not true. Obviously, there's something on our mind and we need to be talking about it. We owe it to our coworkers, to our to our spouse, to our boss, to our kids to be having those conversations. We're not role, we're not being a role model um, in authenticity if we are not having those conversations. My second question is maybe you feel that you don't want to be told no. And so you're avoiding the conversation and you hate confrontation because you don't want to hear the answer. Maybe the answer you're anticipating isn't going to be something that you like. But again, my counter to that is how will you know if you don't actually have the conversation? My third question for you to think about is are you afraid of your anger? Because it might alienate someone or it might cause someone to dislike you. Or maybe with your kids, maybe you're afraid of that it'll damage the relationship. Are you afraid of your anger? And that's why you keep it all inside and you don't want to have this difficult conversation. And then sadly, sometimes people avoid confrontation. And I ask you this question is maybe you feel like you're not good enough. Maybe you feel like you're really not worthy of that promotion. Maybe you feel like you're not worthy of that person staying with you. And obviously, that's deeper work that needs to be done. But I invite you to think about the answer to that question. And I'm here to tell you, in case no one else has, you are absolutely worth it. You are worth it. You're worth advocating for yourself. So if you take nothing away from this episode, please take that away. You are worth it. So we've started out by addressing a lot of the reasons why people don't like confrontation. So now we're going to jump into how do you typically act when you're confronted with a difficult conversation or a confrontation? The truth of the matter is we typically act as adults as how we used to act or were taught to act as children. So one example may be you may cry. You may find yourself full of emotion and when you're angry or upset or about to face a a difficult conversation, you may find yourself on the verge of tears. Very normal, especially for women. You may go silent. You may just realize that maybe when you were a kid, your opinion didn't matter. Maybe your parents were very authoritarian and maybe your way of coping with that was to just go silent and to withdraw because you didn't feel safe expressing your emotions. Or maybe you destroy stuff and (laughs) 
Maybe you get angry and as a kid, you pounded your fist, you stomped your feet, you threw a temper tantrum. And maybe now when you're embarking on a difficult conversation, you find yourself, you know, fists banging on the table, uh, maybe throwing something. That is all from childhood. Or maybe you had brothers or sisters that picked on you a lot and you were the youngest child. And so maybe you found ways to punish them. And maybe now when you think about difficult conversations, maybe you find ways to punish your spouse, punish your kids, punish your boss, and maybe you kind of act a little passively aggressively um, as a form of punishment for other people in your life. So I not only invite you to think about what your style tendency is, but I also invite you to think about how that tendency was developed. So where in your childhood was it developed? And if you can trace it back to then, it becomes very powerful awareness for you to use going forward in these type of conversations. So I'll share my own personal experience. My experience in our family is we actually never resolved conflict. There was a lot of conflict. My parents bickered a lot when I was growing up. And then it was really bizarre. I would sit down and I would just see my parents completely not address the conflict at all. And we would just sit down to dinner and all of a sudden things were normal and my parents were talking normal. So when I was first in relationships, you know, in my 20s, especially with my ex-husband in the very beginning, I didn't know how to resolve conflict because it was never role modeled for me. And so I would just act as if nothing had happened. So avoidance was absolutely what I was taught, what was role modeled for me, and how I, as an adult, went about going to resolve conflicts. Um, I just avoided them. And um, that was not very, that was not very productive in the end. But I had to learn those skills as an adult. Now I really am having the conversations along the way so much more often that I don't really find myself in too many big conflicts anymore. Where I used to, I think, more so in my younger years, because I would avoid, 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 and then blow up. Now I'm having more frequent conversations, more often, better conversations along the way. And avoidance is no longer part of my personal style, but it's also something I had to work on. So let's dive in now to talk about the benefits of difficult conversations. You know, I'm sure when you think back to some difficult times in your life, and when you reflect back on those times, whether they're at home or at work, those are the times that we really grow. Those are the times that we've probably had difficult conversations. And what I find so interesting, and I know this to be true for myself as well, at least in the past, I- I'm much better now. But you know, for so many women, we can advocate for everyone else. We advocate for our team. We advocate for our kids. But we have a hard time advocating for ourselves. And therefore, we avoid the tough conversations. And I will tell you that tough conversations are the conversations that do get you ahead. You may not always win or lose. It's not always about a power struggle. But it is about having your voice be heard. And the other benefit is that you also are understanding someone else's point of view. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But the the benefit of even us having this conversation in the podcast is that when we can engage intentionally 
in conflict, it can really open up so much positive growth. And so the key is knowing when and how to navigate these conversations that can enable you to have breakthroughs, both personally and professionally. So I want to talk about some of the benefits. So one of the benefits are really a deeper understanding of your core values. And we'll talk about that in a minute as well. Again, like I just mentioned, it communicates that we care to the other party that we're talking with and that we're talking to, um, that we care to understand their perspective. So the benefit, you know, one of the big benefits I see is in the parent-child relationship. It's really important for us to have these difficult conversations with our kids because it gives our kids a chance to understand where we are coming from. And most importantly, it gives our kids a chance to talk to us about their opinions and their values. And it gives us an opportunity to have that discussion rather than it be a power struggle. It creates a place of understanding. It increases our trust and respect as leaders that we're able to lean into these type of conversations and we're not going to back away from them. So as leaders, we become much more of role model leadership in terms of how to have these difficult conversations and not avoid them. And then all of a sudden we have a bigger problem at work that needs to be addressed by our team. So you're really putting more work on your team by not leaning into conflict or difficult conversations. It creates opportunities for growth for all of us. The other key is that it helps build your personal confidence. Just like any other muscle, you have to practice. And practice will get you to feel more and more comfortable with difficult conversations. And it also helps you develop your coaching skills as a leader. So super important benefits um, to having these conversations. And going back to Meghan Markle in the Oprah interview, obviously she had some pretty difficult conversations that were happening. And for, for those of you that didn't see the interview, basically her life as part of the royal family, was getting to a point where she was contemplating suicide. And she had the conversation with Harry about the fact that she really didn't want to live anymore. And that entire situation pretty much forced her to advocate for herself within the royal family. So she went to the firm, she went to the institution, and she started asking for help. But she wasn't getting what she needed. So therefore, more difficult conversations had to happen between herself and other members of the royal family, as well as her and Harry. And they decided to move out of London. They moved to Canada. And then they moved to California. And for those of you that did see the interview, I will tell you, obviously, she went through a hellacious two to three years living in that environment. And obviously, so down and in such a dark place that she was thinking she had suicidal thoughts. But her confidence in that interview was amazing. She had such clarity about the fact that she had advocated for herself and that she did the right thing. She didn't have any regrets. She was so articulate. But obviously, those were difficult conversations for her to have. And could you imagine potentially where she would be if she wasn't willing to have those conversations if she wasn't willing to advocate for herself. And going back to the topic of psychological safety, the reality is 
is that when she shared her concerns, she never felt protected. So you can see how all of this plays together. Going back to the episode last week about psychological safety, she never felt safe. She never felt protected by the royal family. So one of the questions you might be asking yourself right now is, well, what designates it being a difficult conversation or a crucial conversation? So there's really three components. And if you think about the interview and what Megan shared, all three components were there. So opposing opinions. The royal family had one idea of how they should be living their lives. And the reality of what was happening was completely different. So there were opposing opinions. Strong emotions. Obviously, what Megan was going through, she was experiencing a lot of strong emotions based on her lack of freedom and her ability to get help and support. And high stakes. Obviously, the stakes were super high. Her life was at stake, essentially. So opposing opinions, strong emotions, and high stakes. Those are the things that really identify crucial conversations. And that's how you'll know. And what I invite you to think about is you might be going into a conversation thinking that it's not a difficult conversation. But I invite you to think about, especially in your if you're in leadership or a parent, I invite you to think about conversations that your kids may be wanting to have with you or maybe that are on your calendar that you don't think are maybe a big deal. Um, but think about it from the other person's point of view. Could this be a difficult conversation for them? Let's say it's performance review time and you're not giving the person a promotion. Is the person maybe expecting a promotion that would be opposing opinions? Could there be strong emotions? Maybe not from you, but from your associate, there could absolutely be strong emotions associated with that. And maybe not from your perspective with regard to high stakes, but for the other person involved, for your associate, the stakes are really high. There's not only title but there and status, there's responsibility, there's growth, there's monetary incentives that come with promotions. And so I invite you to think about what that conversation might look like from the other person that you have scheduled on your calendar. Now let's turn the conversation to you. Let's say that you know you're going into a conversation that is going to be a difficult conversation for you to have personally. So here are some ways that you can make that conversation a little easier on yourself. The first step is to think about your personal values. I talk about values a lot on this podcast because literally they they are the North Star and the compass for so many of us. And if you haven't identified your personal values, I really invite you to take the time to do that. So as you're going into this conversation, thinking about the conversation, identify those values that potentially could get triggered for you. So I know one of my personal values is fairness slash justice. It's really important to me. I had a really hard time in my corporate job when I would see people get promoted that weren't capable, weren't qualified, and it really wasn't fair. And I would get so irritated by it. And it's because fairness is a personal value of mine. And it was being violated. 
and it really bothered me. So I invite you to think about going into this conversation, what values do you have and what values are potentially being violated or crossed? Um, If you're trying to vie for more resources for your team, or if you're going into a conversation with your teenager and maybe they lied to you about something, maybe honesty is being violated for you. And it's important that you know that prior to going into the conversation. So again, before the conversation even starts, it's also important for you to identify expectations. What are the expectations I have for this conversation? What is the end goal in mind? Is the end goal to get more resources for my team? Is the end goal to have my teenager walk away with consequences for their behavior? Or is my end goal to have an understanding of what happened between my teenager and I? So I think it's really important to plan out these conversations by beginning with the end in mind. What do you want to accomplish? I think a good goal for women is that at the end of this conversation, I want the other party to know that I'm advocating for myself. That way you're not always tied to the end results of the conversation, but that you know that the other party knows that you are capable and confident in advocating for yourself. That is such an important message to be sending. And again, another important message about why you shouldn't be avoiding difficult conversations because they set the expectation for how you want people to treat you and to acknowledge you. I always say we teach people how to treat us. So now that we've identified our own expectations going into the meeting or the call or the conversation with our teenager, our spouse, our boss, whomever it may be, it's also equally important to set expectations for the other party. So I can't tell... (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I've worked with women and they say, you know, I'm so frustrated because my boss hasn't promoted me or I'm so frustrated because my husband never gets me the right kind of Christmas gifts. And my question back to them is, have you asked? Have you set those expectations? And I would say 95% of the time, the answer is no, I haven't asked or I haven't told them what I wanted. So, you know, all joking aside, going into a difficult conversation is different than a standard conversation. But in all conversations, we should feel very comfortable setting expectations. I know women have this feeling that if we have to ask for what we want, it's not as special. It doesn't mean as much. But again, we cannot expect people to be mind readers. Everyone has such different lenses and perspectives. And, you know, your husband might be a words of affirmation person in the love languages. And maybe he thinks writing you a letter or a card for Christmas is exactly what you want because that's what that's his love language. And maybe your love language is gifts and that's your love language. But how are you ever going to bridge that gap unless you have a conversation about it? So please set expectations. And here's what that may sound like at work. At work, it may sound like, look, I know we both have the best interest of completing this project on budget. My intent for this conversation is to discuss how we can work together to make that happen. 
And maybe if you're talking to your teenager at home and they just did something, let's say they lied to you about something, the conversation may be set up in terms of expectations with the teenager of say, look, I really want to sit down with you and I really want to have this conversation about what happened last night. I want to understand your thought process. I want to understand what was going on. I want to understand if there's things that I wasn't privy to. And by the end of it, I really want both of us to come to a resolution as to what next steps are going to be. Now, maybe in your mind, you know that they did something that warrants some consequences. So maybe next steps in your mind going into it are that consequences are going to be had, but you're leaving it open-ended that there's going to be some type of next steps because maybe you hear something in that conversation and in that openness that you weren't expecting. And so just what I call this is setting the emotional table. This works great with spouses. And I'll tell you why. (laughs) As I've mentioned, my husband's a therapist and he talks about this all the time. So many men want to problem solve for for us. That's how they're made up. It's what they want to do. It's how they feel valued. And quite honestly, it's what they're rewarded for at work is problem solving. And so one of the best things that you can do to actually set expectations and relieve your spouse of having to problem solve is you could say, look, honey, I had something come up with the kids that I really want to talk to you about. It's really bothering me and I'm really upset about it. But I just want you to know one thing. You don't have to solve anything. I just want to vent to you about it. I just want to clear the air. I just need a safe space to just have you listen. But I really, I don't need you to problem solve for me. That completely sets the expectations for the conversation and absolutely relieves your spouse of trying to think of problems while you're in the middle of the conversation. It actually allows your spouse or your partner to be fully present in the conversation. So I hope you can see how important it is to set expectations, both the expectations from the other party, as well as expectations for yourself going into the conversation. And whether it's with your boss or your teenager or your spouse, you can also say in the expectations, you know, setting up the the context of this conversation, is there anything I'm missing? Is there anything else that we need to be discussing today that will make this conversation productive? That probably sounds more like a work conversation, but, you know, I think it's important to get the other party's input. And then the basis of the conversation is all about understanding. Again, it's beginning with the end in mind of you trying to understand the other party, understanding what's at stake, understanding their concerns, understanding their perspectives, opinions, etc., really getting the full gist of the story by asking a lot of questions. And this is how setting this expectation and going into a difficult conversation with this mindset allows you the opportunity to be a better coach. This conversation is not about winning or losing. It's about creating a space for understanding, for you to understand the other person and for the other person to hear and understand you. It is not a win-lose. That's a power struggle. And that's what too many people get into in their lives, whether it's at home or at work. So we are going to end our conversation right here. We have learned the basis of the conversation, which is psychological safety. We have learned how to plan out, anticipate, and how to go into 
a difficult conversation with understanding ourselves, developing the personal awareness of how we typically operate, understanding the objective of the overall conversation, setting the emotional table, setting the expectation. And next week, we are going to talk about how to resolve the conversation. So you've had the conversation, you've understood the other person, and let's just say you're still not agreeing. How do you close the conversation up and what do you do? So coming back to my example of listening to Meghan Markle tonight, you know, she went in, she had the courage to have difficult conversations about what her mental health needs were. That was not met with support. And the conversation ended up coming to a close by her taking action, her and Harry taking action to go do something different for themselves, for them to get this personal support that they needed outside of the situation that they were in. So I don't feel right closing out this conversation without acknowledging that difficult conversations are hard to have. I'm not saying they're easy. And when someone has the courage to speak up, whether that be yourself or someone else in your life, and says that they need help with mental health, please don't let that conversation go unnoticed or unsupported. And for those of you listening that have had the courage to speak up and address your mental health needs with someone and you haven't been supported, please go see a therapist. And if it's really serious and you're having thoughts about harming yourself, please contact the National Suicide Hotline. That number is 1-800-273-8255. It's too important of a conversation and someone is on the other side of that line to support you. So I close out our conversation today by just saying thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for having the courage to leaning in and to learning about how to have difficult conversations, and in the end, how to advocate for yourself through these difficult conversations. I'll see you back here next week as we talk about how to resolve these conversations and what that looks like and how you can close out a difficult conversation with a resolve and a result that works for you. So I can't wait to see you back here next week for part three of our series on difficult conversations. Bye for now. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now.